Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Great new inventory. Fabulous array of pre-owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee all at Sunbury Motors 4th Street in Sunbury Sunbury Motors Kia routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com Peter King in a moment first our play-by-play call of the day Lakers Sixers late Tobias Harris takes over trying to get free trying to draw a foul Curry has it shot clock is off down to eight seconds now Harris Harris against Caruso on the drive pull up jumper it's good Tobias Harris sinks it with 2.4 remaining Lakers are out of timeouts and out of luck for one of the few times too as last night the Sixers on the uh, Tobias Harris jumper win it over the Lakers last night in Philadelphia with that we bring in the great Peter King from NBC Sports. Peter, welcome. Happy New Year. Always great to have you with us. Steve, how's it going? It's going great. How about you? Everything is good. It's. Uh, I'm kind of amazed that uh, the NFL seemingly is going to finish this season on time. I, you know, four months ago, five months ago, I never thought this would be the case, but it just goes to show what you can do when you have a gigantic amount of money, a bottomless pit of money, and you want to get something done. And yeah. they've gotten it done, so credit to them. And that's it's and I'll flip it over to what you know I do, and that is, you know, Penn State had nine scheduled football games this season. They played all nine. Which you know, Jack Ham and I thought was a remarkable accomplishment considering everything that's going on. Yeah, because most teams I mean, look, I don't, I don't obviously follow the college game very closely, but you know, I'm watching, and and you know, teams are getting games postponed on the Thursday before the game. It wasn't the most amazing thing that happened this year in the college season when uh, Brigham Young uh, had an opening, and like, what was it like on Thursday? They make a deal to go play what Coastal Carolina. Yep, <laughs> and and it was a great game. I, I mean, I yeah. found myself watching like the fourth quarter of that game and saying, "Oh my gosh, these are two really good teams fighting to the finish." It was a it was a tremendous football game, and and you know it's kind of funny. You think, "Oh my god, all this for a football game," but then they play a game like that, and look, I have yeah. no idea the financial stakes involved or anything, but boy, it sure seemed worth it to me. Yeah, it seemed worth it to me. And I know I'll give you a recent example, basketball. Penn State, uh, because of circumstances, uh, this week was supposed to play Wisconsin on Wednesday. And then it got switched where to was Michigan. The, where was the game? It was going to be here. Yeah. And then Wisconsin, excuse me, then Michigan, they were able to manipulate the schedule and push Wisconsin to Saturday because they needed to make up a game with Michigan on Wednesday. 
Then yep. the Department of Health at Michigan said Michigan is shut down for two weeks. So Penn State played at Ohio State last night, and now Wisconsin is still Saturday, and then Penn State goes out to Wisconsin next Tuesday. So hey, wait I a wake second. up every- so, so how? So in other words, they moved the Wisconsin game to this weekend. Yes. When in reality, they could have played it last night because Michigan couldn't play. Right. So what what they did was wow. they had Wisconsin play a game at Maryland. Penn State ended up playing at Ohio State. And yep. now I'm getting ready for Penn State and Wisconsin Saturday here, and I've got back-to-back games to get ready for. So at least the preparation for the second game will be easier. <laughs> but let me, let me just ask you this question. Like, I'm, I'm curious sure. about this. So, like, sure. when, when Wisconsin plays at State College, all right, yep. w- I assume they fly in, right? Do they, yes. do they fly in on a smaller plane right to State College? Yeah, you can fly right into State College, so that's no okay. no issue at all. And the airport, the airport's four. You know where the stadium is. It's only four miles from yeah. the stadium. Yeah, and so it's fairly easy then if they fly from Madison to State College. That's probably an hour twenty, yes. or something like that. And and it's, yes. So I was thinking that you know in my head I'm thinking, oh my God, if you got to do this commercial, this is going to be a gigantic pain to go Madison Chicago. Chicago, I guess either State College or you know or Harrisburg or something. It, right. it would be a mess, but right. but it's got to be it's got to be incredibly convenient. Probably on one of those thirty seat planes, you know. Yeah, it's all charter, Peter. For for, for football yeah. and basketball, it's all charter, which makes a gigantic difference for them. And class wise, it makes a difference too. If you're playing a road yeah. game, now Penn State plays at Ohio State last night. The trip back is thirty five minutes. Well, they're in class yeah. this morning. They're in class this morning. So, you know, so well, when they virtually. go to when they go to uh, when they go to Ohio State, and the game is what the game was what eight o'clock last night, seven, seven o'clock. So would they leave? Yesterday was Wednesday. They'd leave on Tuesday late day, or what would they do? Tuesday late day, All right? Get there, then. Um, Play the game at seven. Back on the plane, probably back. Let's see, back here by eleven last night. Yeah, and what do they do? Have a shoot around during the day on Wednesday. Yeah, an hour and a half shoot around. They'll just go over, you know, book out two hours, take fifteen minutes, go to the gym, shoot around. I'll usually do the pregame show with the coach there, and then, you know, then after the hour and a half, then wait for the game. And then, how has your job changed in terms of? You know, yeah, being able question. to be close to players and close to the coach. What? How is it Hard. different this year? Yeah, harder, as you know. Yeah, as you know. I mean, this is something you and I talked about before. You've had to do more things on Zoom, and you're a hands-on yes. reporter. You're, you're yeah. a reporter. The reason, one of the big reasons I read you all the time, besides loyalty, of course, is uh, is because you'll sit down and, quote, get your hands dirty. You'll talk to somebody informally. You'll walk with them, talk with them, be in a camp, yeah. and so forth. It's the same thing with me. I'm at every practice. I mean, yeah. it may be the same stuff they're doing all the time, but as you know, the amount of information you can get by, quote, being there, you know, is invaluable just as background for you. And the players know who yeah. you are, right? It's not unfamiliar to them. It's a familiar face. And I think that helps them as well because it helps with the trust part of it. I'll tell you, you know, just in terms of we're talking about how to do the job these days, 
I'll give you a really good example of how different it is. Okay, so last year in the off week before the Super Bowl, for the last for the previous five years before this year, I went to drive to work one day with one of the Super Bowl coaches. The year the Eagles were uh, were in it. Um, I met uh, Doug Peterson at a Wawa near his house in South Jersey. Um, then the next year I did Sean McVay, Saturday morning from Encino, California, riding, to him, riding with him to the Rams facility. Last year I did it with Andy Reid so, uh, in uh, Kansas City. And so, you know, you sit in the car, you have a conversation, you, you chat, you whatever. So that has kind of been my thing. So this year, obviously, you can't do it. Right. So what I decided to do is uh, I asked both PR guys, I'd like to get a guy, if, if he wouldn't mind, to sort of simulate this. And that's the wrong word, really, simulate it. But <laughs> like right. this morning at 4.15, I got up in my apartment in Brooklyn, and I called Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator of the Bucks, and we talked for about 30 minutes. Uh, he got out of the car, went into work. The benefit to them is, you know, I, they're done with me when they, you know, when they walk in the building, you know. Right. They, 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 so, so it's a benefit almost that instead of having to take 20 to 30 minutes at some point during the day, they can just do the, they can do it when they're in their car instead of listening to whatever radio they'd be listening to. And then Saturday, I'm going to do Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs offensive coordinator. And theoretically, you would think that this game is going to be about does Todd Bowles have an, and his defense have enough to slow down Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and, and Kelsey a little bit. So that's what I'm doing this year. But it just won't be the same. In right. you know, in not actually being there with them, you know, it's, but, but, you know, look, I'm not crying about it. I'm just saying that almost everything these days you have to adjust. Are you actually going to go to the game, Peter? I am going to the game. Yeah. I, okay. we thought about it. Uh, and I, I, uh, I, I, there's nobody else from NBC going in fact. Um, and I thought about it. Uh, and I decided, look, we, I have been living with this in this pandemic uh, because I live in Brooklyn, and you know we've sort of been in the belly of the beast for, I guess, almost eleven months now, ten months, whatever. Right. And I've been wearing a mask every day since whatever day three or four of this thing. And so I, you know, my wife and I are very careful, and. I didn't. I, I don't. I don't have any fear, and I don't. I don't do stupid things, but I have no fear. If I see somebody walking toward me on the sidewalk without a mask, I, if I can, I move either move to the other side or I wait for that person to pass. But we're a very masked society here in uh, in yeah. New York, and uh, and so no, I, I just figured that that. Uh, I'm going to be careful. I know exactly how to do this. And just to be safe next week, I'm going to double mask. And uh, okay. so I am going to go to the game. Okay, that's great. Uh, I have to – can you give us a little bit – take us inside. Now, it's not the room this year. You had to do it by Zoom. But what's it like when you do sit down in the room? And you're, There's only five that can make the Hall of Fame. To me, this is as difficult a Hall of Fame – to make, despite what Kurt Schilling thinks, 
<laughs> than any of them because there's thousands and thousands of players to consider. What's that yeah. room like, and what? Okay, what are you listening for when you make that decision? Well, you're right. It's really a re- it's really a tough thing. This year, we had a we had one coaching candidate that we considered. We have, the Hall of Fame meeting happens basically in two distinct ways. We have three um, people who were uh, one advanced by the seniors committee. Okay, we have one coach advanced by the coaches committee or coaches sub subcommittee, and then we have a contributor advanced by the uh, you know the contributors subcommittee, which I'm on. Um, that I think will be a pretty easy choice. It seemed like a slam dunk to me uh, this year when uh, you know I'll 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 sort of explain this uh, so that people kind of get a full view of it. Those three people have to get eighty percent of the vote, okay? And and the contributor that we nominated this year was Bill Nunn. The longtime oh, okay. Steelers scout and the and the guy who really made an art form of scouting historically black colleges uh, yeah. brought Dwight White, John Stallworth, ILC Greenwood. Uh, you, you know, really, it was uh, he, he's done. He did a tremendous job uh, for the Steelers. So I think he's probably going to get in the coach uh, in, the, in this year with Tom Flores. Those guys have to get eighty percent of the vote. But then you get to the modern era candidates. There's fifteen of those. And you listen to the cases for everyone, and then you vote, and you cut them down from 15 to 10, and then you listen to uh, a few more arguments, and then you cut it down from 10 to 5. The 10 who survived the cut from 15 to 10, then you've got to vote 10 to 5. So what's really interesting about it is at the start of every year, I look at my sheet, before I hear any arguments, and I just put a little dot next to the people who I think going into the meeting I would vote for if they got to the final five. And um, in my opinion, this year, 12 of the 15 I would have voted for. So, and you can only put five in. So wow. really, it's 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 quite hard to do. And um, as opposed to other halls of fame. And look, I I don't I don't I mean obviously I read a lot about the baseball Hall of Fame, and I don't I, I don't know what's right or wrong with steroids. I just don't. I, I right. I I, I I it's it's a it, Tony Dungy was telling me a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about decision making. He goes, you know, we all wish that all decisions were ninety ten, but the reality <laughs> is. Most of the big ones are about fifty-five, forty-five. If that, <laughs> you know, whether in football or in life, you know, and uh, and so you know, you you try to make the decision the best you can, and you understand that some of the people who you think belong in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you're voting for people over them, and so it isn't like you're voting no on somebody who doesn't get to the final five. It's that you can only vote for five, and so that's right. that's a that's a that's the, the the business of that Hall of Fame. And it's meeting this year was eight hours and forty three minutes, and sometimes it gets intense. And uh, I mean, it never gets you believe it, he believe it, but it it does get it gets very very opinionated and sometimes a little bit loud. 
Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting little exercise to do once a year. You also had the stat of the year, by the way. Peyton Manning discussion, 13 seconds. To me, that was, <laughs> that was my – I read that. I almost fell off my chair laughing when I read that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, uh, you know here, here's the point about that, honestly. The year that Joe Montana came up, Ira Miller of the San Francisco Chronicle stood up and he said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Joe Montana, and he just sat down. So this was the same thing basically this year. Mike Chappell of the, you know, longtime beat writer of the Colts just said, uh, uh, you know, because we were on Zoom, we're on a video conference, he goes, uh, Peyton Manning, and I know you can't see me very well here, but if I had a mic, I would drop the mic right now. And, <laughs> and that was it. It was kind of cool, kind of funny. It was interesting because um, Ira came into the broadcast booth, I think we were at Michigan, Oh, he, he won- loves the Lions. Yes. Well, he, he <laughs> yeah. comes in. Oh, yeah, he does. You know, he's, he's tailgated out there with us. You know, you know Ira. And yeah. he, he wanted to talk to Jack Ham about Ray Guy. And yeah. he pointed and he pointed out, you know, I'm just sitting as a bystander. He says, you know, Peter King really likes Gerald Wilson. I looked over. I said, well, Ira, no offense, but Peter's got a point. <laughs> not, not Gerald Wilson. <laughs> That's <laughs> uh, funny he said that because I said the whole all the years that and at the end at the very end I voted for Ray Guy. Oh, I know you. He did. was get yeah. he was getting in and uh, it wasn't that you know I think there's a lot of good candidates for the Hall of Fame I really do but the fact is just my opinion Ray Guy is not a singular punter in in history. If you yeah. look at Gerald Wilson, uh, his numbers, his awards, all that stuff. Are, pretty much the same and i just kept asking the question why are we voting for this guy instead of gerald wilson and i don't mean it disrespectfully i just i'm i'm asking the question so anyway but it's not a it's definitely an imperfect science uh and people are very very passionate about it i mean really the the campaigns now are really getting a little out of control but that's just the way it is people are interested in football can I, uh, I, I just one more question that I'll let you go because I really appreciate yeah. the time. Uh, in your mind, you said you put down dots next to twelve of the fifteen. Yep. What does the waiting game mean eventually in your decision about a candidate if they've been on there x amount of time? Does that? Well, here's a great here's a great example. I I almost never use that as a factor because I just don't okay. think it's fair. Um, but but this year, um, Clay Matthews, the old Cleveland linebacker, mm-hmm. was, uh, was up. And it is the first time, you know, after 14 years that his candidacy was getting an airing in the room before the full committee. So okay. he had never been a finalist. Ever, and he really does have a heck of a resume. It's almost like, as I would, I'd compare it to almost like a Carl Yastrzemski, a guy okay. who played a long time and compiled great numbers. And I mean, Yaz was won the MVP in '67 and and all that stuff. And Clay Matthews, you know, never did that. But but still, he was really good for a long time. Played at a high level for a long time and this was it this is the last year he was going to be eligible 
Um, and if he didn't make it this year, and I still don't know if he made it or not, but if he didn't make it this year, he goes into the senior pool where there are anywhere from between, you know, maybe 90 to about 130 legitimate, really good candidates for the, for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But, you know, having, his, having had his case heard so recently, it's unlikely that the seniors committee which which brings one player up for a vote every year, just one. I mean, and I don't mean to be dramatic, but if Clay Matthews didn't make it this year, chances are pretty good that he wouldn't be alive if he ever did make it. You know, right. and so right. I, you know, one of the one of the points I, I I think should not be lost in that case is that let's say a guy is on his second or third year of eligibility versus Clay Matthews, if you truly believe Clay Matthews is a Hall of Famer, if you don't, you shouldn't vote for him. Right. But if you truly believe that he is, in my opinion, I don't like to use this term, but in my opinion, I don't have a problem with somebody uh, voting for Clay Matthews to jump the line. And so, I mean, we'll see what happens. I truly don't know if he's getting in or not, but that's the attitude I have for, for cases like that. And, and it's so, you know, to look at these guys every year, you know, it's absolutely ridiculous. Alan Fanica, um, yeah. you know, struggles to get in. And, but having said that, it's, I understand why he does struggle, because there are so many other great candidates. Right. Alan Fanica or Charles Woodson, who do you want? Alan right. Fanica, Calvin Johnson. Alan Fanica, John Lynch. I mean, yeah. you just, you got, Peyton Manning is going in. You know, that's one of your five votes right there if you've watched any football over the last 30 years. <laughs> but beyond that, then you've got all these tough choices to make. And so anyway, but it's an interesting day. And all I know is that uh, Peter King put a smile on my face because from our youth, you and me combined, mentioning the name Carl Yastrzemski brings one of the that great was our shakes. guy, wasn't it, Steve? That was our guy, Peter. <laughs> Yaz was our guy. <laughs> he was, yeah. Yeah, Yaz. Yaz was really amazing. And he Steve, was. at one point, I said to myself, you know, if I can't play left field for the Red Sox, maybe one day I'd be able to write about the left fielder for the Red Sox. So I'm not actually writing about Andrew Benintendi right now, but you kind of get the point. <laughs> I get the point. <laughs> uh, but I was at the game when Jim Rice got his first major league hit. So I was there for one left field. How about that? That's great. I was with my grandfather. That's great. Thanks so much, my friend. Really appreciate it. Hey, no problem, Steve. Anytime. Uh, Enjoy the the rest of the basketball season. Good luck. You too. Enjoy uh, going down to the Super Bowl. Please stay safe, okay? Will do, Steve. Thanks a lot. Peter King, NBC Sports. I know we went a little long with that. But... I had to do something that would get Matt Catrillo antsy. You okay? I'm good. Well, don't brag. We'll come back. (laughs) (laughs) We'll come back. Austin Gale, Pro Football Focus, final half hour, News Radio 1070 WKOK. Sunbury Motors Ford is bringing in 2021 with a bang. 
SMZ has just received shipments of the all-new 2021 Ford F-150. Save up to nine grand on the totally redesigned F-150, which was just awarded North America's Truck of the Year for 2021. Sunbury Motors has 67 F-150s in stock and arriving soon. SMC is introducing the highly anticipated 2021 Ford Bronco Sport. The new Bronco's retro design reflects its iconic heritage from the 60s and 70s. Sunbury Motors has them in stock, starting at just $28,200. Pick from 61 of the top-selling Ford Escapes with savings up to $8,250. And slash to as low as $22,380. SMC is where you want to be in January for discounts up to $11,000 on the largest selection of new Fords in the Susquehanna Valley. And everyone is clearly marked for this massive sale. Sunbury Motors Ford into the 4th Street Auto Plaza. Proudly serving all of central Pennsylvania for over a century. Hurry, sale ends Monday the 1st. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. I mean, are you undergoing some sort of evaluation that I don't know about? Not that I'm aware of. Because every time I turn around, the suit's in the room with you. <laughs> I mean, uh... I'm just rolling. That's all. I I didn't know if you were in charge of, like, ad buys for Peters or what. I just don't know. I thought that that's who he's supposed to be talking to. I can definitely deny that. (laughs) Today's show brought to you by our great friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Or thanks to Peter King. I know we went long with it, but... I don't know. We just enjoy talking to each other. So, <laughs> so sorry about that. Uh, and uh, Ross Tucker, same story with Ross. Uh, so let's get to pro football focus because the next phase will be about the guys that down the road, a guy like Peter King and a guy like Ross Tucker will be talking about down the road when they make the NFL, guys at the Senior Bowl. And joining us to talk about that is Austin Gale, pro football focus. Austin, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Doing great, man. How about yourself? Doing really well. All right, Senior Bowl week. So let's get to the people that uh, may be helping themselves this week. When you look at this, who might be helping themselves? Yeah, I think it has to. You know, the conversation has to start with US, UCLA running back or former running back Demetrius Felton. He was recruited to UCLA as a four-star wide receiver recruit. Played wide receiver in 2018, uh, or yeah, I think in 2018, and then made the move to running back for the 2019 and 2020 seasons. But he has looked very good running wide receiver drills down there in Mobile. I'd say he looks like one of the better route runners of all the receivers down there in Mobile. Very efficient with his feet. Great at the release point. I think he's made some, himself some money as a future slot receiver in the NFL. Right, so who else then jumps to the front? Maybe on defense, who might jump to the front that deserves a little more notice based on what they've done so far? Yeah, I think Boogie Basham or Carlos Basham Jr. of Wake Forest. He's Mm -hmm. a bigger dude, came in, weighed in at like, what, 280 pounds, and he's made some moves on the edge, and he's also played on the interior, beating guards very quickly. He's very quick for his size, quick out of his snap, and I think his pass moves are very good as well. I think he gets to the NFL, gets better coaching, and learns to really run that speed to power, be a bully with his size. I think he could be a very productive player. I know my uh, one of my colleagues, Mike Renner, has comped him to Marcus Davenport, a raw player coming out of UTSA that as he got moves got better. I think Carlos Basham is very similar. A lot of fans around here are interested in the progress of Shaka Tony, defensive end linebacker. So what do you know about how he has done in Mobile? Man, Shaka, 
it, it's looked kind of rough for him, man. I think there's been a handful of reps where he's looked good. He's very fast. He's just he's really light. I think he came in, what, 220, 225, and I think some bigger offensive linemen have taken advantage of him. I think the highlight reel that's kind of hitting the Twitter timeline is him against Robert Jones, the Mississippi State offensive tackle. Tries a spin move and gets kind of buried into the dirt, and he's kind of had a struggled to overcome that. I think there's some opportunities for Shaka Tony, in my opinion, to explore some off-ball, explore some, some other position alignments, because playing along the edge, just how thin he is will make things difficult against some of these bigger bullies down here in Mobile. Uh, left tackle is going to be an important position always in the NFL. It's at any level. Of the left tackles you're seeing, give me a couple that uh, the, the NFL team should be taking great notice of. Yeah, I think it starts with the North Dakota State guy, uh, Dylan Redons, who is like built to play the position, even though he's played some guard here in Mobile. At left tackle, has looked very, very good. Stonewalled some guys. Even better than the Alabama offensive tackle, Alex Leatherwood, who has 35-inch arms, you know, the, you know, the prototypical size and athleticism you want for the position, but has gotten beat. Like Quincy Roche, the Miami-Florida edge defender, has beaten him a handful of times. They have a little bit of a battle between those two going out throughout the week, and I think right now, Dylan Redons has outplayed Leatherwood. Like, it's been a really, really good week for redundant stock all right rush end is always going to be important at the next level so you looked at the we talked a little bit about shaka but who are the rush ends for example that you're looking at saying that is an nfl type rush end yeah i mean boogie basham and then also i'll throw quincy roche in there and i didn't yeah. love you know what quincy roche put on tape at Miami. There's specifically a game against Christian Derisaw, the Virginia Tech offensive tackle, where he gets stonewalled the entire game. It's not a good look for his tape, but here down here in Mobile, he's beaten, you know, Alex Leatherwood a handful of reps. He's beaten Redunds even. Like, he has had a handful of really, really good reps in Mobile, and I think the biggest reason for that is, is he, I think he and Basham are like the only two edge defenders down here with a legitimate counter, where they can rush with a predetermined plan, and if it doesn't work, work to a spin, or work to an inside chop, they can do different things to get off of their first move. These other guys really are struggling to get off their first move when it doesn't work. For the most part, you can get wide receivers in the first four rounds. They don't have to be first-round picks. Uh, so who are some of the wide receivers that might not be first-round picks? Now you've already referenced one that made, made the move from running back to wide out. But maybe helping themselves down here where they get themselves maybe out of the third day and get themselves to the second day of the draft. Yeah, uh, Clemson's Amari Rogers, who's, yeah. who's very small, not not a super, you know, not a big na- not a big name or a big receiving prospect, but he's been putting on a show at the release point and has created separation very easily. I think he's another guy that in the slot, I'd be happy to have him on my football team. I think another receiver that's played well but hasn't had like the limelight necessarily is Kate Johnson of South Dakota State. He's another smaller guy that's created separation at the line. Thailand Wallace hasn't been an elite separator here in Mobile, but he tracks the ball better than anyone here. Like he catches everything thrown his way. And if you're looking for a consistent hands presence at outside or even in the slot, I think Tylen Wallace is your guy there as well. All right. So now let's, you talked about slot receiver. Sometimes guys will come in uh, to the NFL, and they're a really good corner, but they'll start out their career in the nickel spot. They'll start out their career in, in the slot corner spot. You seeing a couple guys that fit that bill? Yeah, so what's interesting is Aaron Robinson, the UCF cornerback that has been mocked in the first round by a handful of analysts, came in with 30-inch arms. There are two cornerbacks in the NFL that start on the outside with 30-inch arms, Dante Jackson and Avante Maddox, and both those guys run four threes. Mm-hmm. Will, will Aaron Robinson translate to an outside corner in the four fours? Maybe, but I really like what he can do in the slot. He's a super physical cornerback. Reminds me of Darnay Holmes from a year ago in Mobile, where physical, doesn't give up on any rep, and can win with his physicality and his speed. I think Aaron Robinson 
his floor in the NFL it looks like a very productive slot cornerback. Maybe he does make that transition to the outside, even with those 30-inch arms. But he's been one of the more impressive short-armed cornerbacks here. All right, let's get to the quarterbacks uh, that are that are participating in Mobile, uh, because obviously there are underclassmen all over the place in this draft. So who are the quarterbacks there, and of the quarterbacks, is anybody showing you something? Yeah, I mean, it's a two-man race here for the, the best guy. It's Jamie Newman and Mac Jones. Both those guys have put good spin on the ball. Mac Jones has had a handful of very accurate throws in team and in seven-on-seven. Seven. I think those two guys from what I'm hearing, are standing out the most. And I think that's bigger for Jamie Newman's stock. Jamie Newman made the transfer... Yeah, Jamie Newman made the transfer from Wake Forest to Georgia and then opted out of the 2020 season due to COVID-19. He's wearing a Wake Forest helmet here. I don't even know if he ever even picked up the Georgia helmet, and I do think that teams want to see this kid. Like, they liked him at Wake Forest, but he ran a very simplistic offense. Now, here in Mobile, getting some throws out in front of NFL coaches and, and obviously some scouts here as well, I do think that Jamie Newman's moving up his stock as well. All right, so I want to stick with that for a moment because Jamie Newman has not played in an actual football game in 13 months. In fact, he gets to the preseason, it's going to be 19 months. Is there a concern about that when a guy has not actually played in any games at all in essentially when they get to training camp a year and a half? No, 100%. There's going to be a lot of concern. It's a big reason why he's not in the conversation for the first round. I mean, he's day two at really at the ceiling and I think there's even maybe you know teams that wouldn't even take him on day two because there's still a lot of concerns with his game like you just haven't seen a lot of football specifically a lot of good football from Jamie Newman it's the obvious concern with a lot of these opt-outs if you didn't put on an absolute absurd good tape in 2019 and then opted out of 2020 it's going to be so much harder to feel confident in drafting these guys it's why a lot of the guys that did opt out in 2020 will slip down boards maybe wrongfully so and it gives kind of some opportunity for some sleepers in this class right so let's get to the mac jones part of it one of the knocks on both mac jones and kyle trask from florida is that, look, they put up phenomenal numbers and they throw the ball well but might not have the strongest arm uh, on the planet. Has Mac Jones shown sufficient arm strength and has he shown sufficient accuracy? Yeah, I mean, so with Mac Jones and Kyle Trask, and I'll, I'll start with Mac Jones, okay. they, they have good enough arm strength. Good enough. But in the NFL where Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers are dominating, good enough isn't as cool anymore. I mean, good enough is not what I want. I want the next Patrick Mahomes. It's yeah. why Jordan Love of Utah State, despite not playing a ton of good football in his career, win in the first round. He has arm talent. He could be a project. He could be a guy that could develop into the next Mahomes. It's why the first three quarterbacks, first four quarterbacks in this class are coveted. All four of them have arm talent, including Trey Lance, who might have the best arm right after Trevor Lawrence. Like This is where the NFL is going. We want quarterbacks that can throw every inch of the football field, open up my offense. Trask and Mac Jones, while they both played really good football, played the quarterback position mm-hmm. well, no doubt. don't have that arm talent. And I think the other part of that, too, is Mac Jones is not mobile. You know, Mahomes, no. Josh Allen, these guys in the NFL can scramble. They can add things with their feet. Mac Jones and Kyle Trask are not adding anything with their athletic ability or their rushing ability in the NFL. All right, so let's get to the Trey Lance part. He played his one game. Good for him. He played his one game, in which he had no control over. Uh, what kind of roll of the dice is this guy? Because, again, let's go. It's one game for him in 13 months, and it also is at the FCS level. So what kind of roll of the dice is this guy if you decide, some people are saying top 10? 
I wouldn't even call it a roll of the dice. I'd call it a lottery ticket. You know, you're, you're trying to buy a lottery ticket and hope that this guy with all the arm talent, good size, he's only 20 years old. Like, he's a very young player. Yeah. And even going beyond, you know, his one game this year, he only averaged 18 dropbacks a game in SCS competition in 2019. Like, yeah. this guy just hasn't played a lot of football. He's a young player with all the arm talent in the world, all the tools he wants but it's largely Play-Doh. Like, you're going to have to form him into a good quarterback in the NFL. And why do you take a pick like that in the top ten? I mean, it's a very similar reason why the Kansas City Chiefs a few years ago traded all the way up to get Patrick Mahomes at ten because they knew he has the arm talent, he has the tools to be something great. And while Trey Lance may not be that in 2021 or even 2022, you want that lottery ticket because you know what it can do for your offense. If you can get a quarterback with his tools to play the position well in the NFL, you're going to be one of the better teams. Now, look, I wouldn't, you know, go too far on the lottery thing because that's unofficially the company's pension plan, so don't. <laughs> that... <laughs> All right. Okay, so uh, the, obvi- the guy's obviously at the top. Lawrence, Fields, I mean, they, they both put up lots of tape during the course of the year. Anything changes your mind that they're at, they're at the very top of this draft? I think, I think it's Lawrence and Wilson at the top, and then Fields yeah, why, is right yeah, underneath yeah, Wilson. Why has Wilson jumped Fields in all this? Because I, mean, they, I know BYU was a traveling road show this year, but, you know, it's, uh, last night I get concerned about the level of competition guys face. No, I agree, and I think that's the biggest knock on Wilson. The other thing is he's the highest-graded quarterback in college football, according to PFF this year, And but you have to weigh in level of competition. He also has a better arm than, than Justin Fields does. Justin Fields has a great arm, though. Like, don't That's not a knock on Fields. That's just a really that showing does, what Wilson can do. Right, you yeah. know, Wilson has an absurd arm. He's, he's very athletic, very mobile. He needs to add some weight. Like, he's a skinnier guy. That, that is a bit of a concern for me, but he's still – a very young player. He's not your typical BYU player that comes out at like 26 years old after a you know, Mormon kid. He is, he is like in his you know early 20s. I think it, I think at 20 years old, and he's he's similar to Trey Lance in that he's got all these tools, bad competition, but he's got these tools. But Zach Wilson's actually played football, and he's done it at a very high level and shown that he can be a legitimate starting caliber quarterback that makes all these throws. Let me give you two Alabama guys. I know he he didn't want to be weighed. He didn't want to run. I mean, look, he just went through how many games? You know, the Heisman Trophy went to Devontae Smith. He said, I'll show it at Alabama's Pro Day. Good for him. I don't blame him. Why not? What do you think about him as a prospect? What do you think of Najee Harris as a prospect? Yeah, Devontae Smith not weighing himself was very smart. I was surprised he even accepted the invite to go right. down to Mobile and kind of put himself at risk, you know, with – just you know contacting use you know other people with COVID-19 and stuff but I mean credit to him to wanting to talk to scouts and other coaches and those things he probably won't weigh himself he he very well might not weigh himself this entire offseason people forget that Lamar Jackson didn't run the 40-yard dash in in the entire offseason before he got drafted (laughs) it was one of those things where like it would make or break him like what's the point watch my film I'll run I'll do all these other things but you're not going to see how much I weigh because I don't want you to care about that number and maybe he's right to do that because if he does weigh in, he's going to weigh in under 180 pounds potentially, and there aren't a lot. There's not a lot of history that shows that receivers at his size, six foot two, around 180 pounds, have had success in the NFL. You'd have to go back to like Isaac Bruce and Marvin Harrison when the game was completely different to see receivers that had that level of success. He's like a skinnier version of Calvin Ridley. Now, that's not to say he's not a fantastic player. That's obvious. <laughs> right. the first Heisman. He's the first Heisman winner at receiver since Desmond Howard. Yeah. But there are going to be teams looking at athletic testing and looking at historical data saying, hey, there's a very low percentage chance 
he develops into an elite receiver in the NFL, given what we know about receivers of his position and of his athletic ability. But I think eventually you have to turn on the tape. I feel really confident in him as a top 10, top 12 pick in this draft. And what about Najee Harris? Najee Harris right now. So PFF is under a little bit of scrutiny because we don't see him as the top running back in this class. He's very talented, still the number three running back behind Travis Etienne. And then I think we have Michael Carter of UNC, or no, Javante Williams at two, one of the UNC backs. And at three, Najee Harris, the concern with Harris, hasn't forced a, doesn't force a ton of missed tackles, ran behind a very good offensive line in Alabama, and a lot of his production was kind of awarded to him. Don't bring up yards per carry or touchdowns with Najee Harris if you're talking about his draft profile. I still think there are going to be some concerns with you know what this guy can do, like add to a football team, because you just haven't seen the yards after contact, force missed tackle numbers that you want. And from a receiving aspect, Travis Etienne He's and both superior. UNC running backs are better. Absolutely. Yeah, no, Etienne's a superior I give ETN credit. He may have racked up the same numbers maybe as before, but he does everything. He does block yeah. well. He blocks well. He's a good receiver. He's reliable. And he's a good running back. So, awesome. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I just throw out, I throw out a name, and off the memory, he just clicks off. I'm not going to throw out some absurd, uh, obscure defensive tackle from South Dakota State. He, should, he, he, sh- he still would have had it. Appreciate it very <laughs> much, Austin, so much. Of course. Thank you. Fun show today with Austin Gale, PFF, Ross Tucker, Peter King, and there was a quick cameo from the suit who wants a quarterback in the draft. I just... (sighs) At least I'm not the only one frustrated with my team. I just need the guy to stay in his lane. All right. All right. Do we need to wrap it up or do we? Yeah, we got we got to wrap it up and take a break into the top of the hour. Back tomorrow. Look forward to it here on News Radio 1070 WKOK.